0: hello and welcome to the robert a heinlein book club and in this episode i'll be looking at uh uh, I think a relatively unknown uh, story by, by Heinlein called Free Men, uh, written sometime in like 46 or 47. Um, I think in a in an introduction to this tale that's in one of the collections that was first published in, I think it was published in 1966, in an anthology of some of his writings, um, he mentioned it was, it was written around the time of Rocketship Galileo but uh we'll, we'll put it in 46 uh, it's it's kind of like the last story uh bathroom of her own in that it's not quite science fiction um i guess it qualifies as a science fiction of a sort because it seems to be set in the future a future where the united states is taken over but it's not like uh sixth column or a story like that that has like science fiction elements or at least super science elements in it um in this uh in this story it's just uh, a future America that's been taken over by some foreign power and then we just get the a close look at the experiences of a of a rebellious cell within the within the resistance to this and it's very political it's very much uh, a warning uh, to the Americans of the dangers of of kind of losing our, our resistance um, to you know and how we need to keep this kind of independent spirit it's it's you know it's i think this stuff when heinlein does it is better set in a science fiction context like the room the moon's a horse mistress or or revolt in 2100 or the sixth column even though i'm not a big fan of that story it I think he does it better in that context because it comes off, it comes off less kind of like o- overtly weird politics, right? Because no one's ever going to invade the United States. Now, now, maybe in 46, just coming off of World War II and the beginning of the Cold War and, and you know, beginning of the arms race. And, and when you looked at the armies, right, it looked like the Soviet Union had a larger army. It looked like they were more powerful on the ground, right? They expanded their territory. They were taking the satellite states in mm-hmm. Eastern Europe. You know, you have the beginning of that kind of containment theory, this idea of communism as an expanding force. And, you know, the Cold Warriors were, of course, emphasizing Americans' weakness to justify the, you know, the, the Cold War rhetoric and the policies that are going to back it up. Um, Some of this is true, like if you look at Kennedy and the policies on science education, like that was a direct response to Soviet advances in science. So there are um, like in the 60s, if you read like uh, uh, Red Plenty, that's set in the late 50s and 60s, you know, in the Khrushchev years when it looked like Soviet growth rates were going to overtake the United States. Of course, that's coming in the context of, of the recovery from World War II um you know the continuing of the of the soviet central planning and industrialization and of course you're going to get high growth rates in that that context um were they sustainable clearly not right they they weren't by the 70s and some people think if not for the i just read stephen Kotkin's book on the on the end of the soviet union and he also seems to think that if not for the discovery of oil in the soviet union in the 70s maybe the soviet union would have collapsed earlier right that it was not really sustainable and if you look even now at china right their growth rates because it started at such poverty the growth rates that they enjoyed for for many decades have, have of course lifted many out of poverty but you know is it sustainable the well, signs are now that maybe it's not right i don't think the china's going to collapse anytime soon but, you know, they're not going to be able to continue to have that, those gross rates where it's going to look like it's going to overtake the United States at some point. Now, China has kind of overtaken the United States and purchasing power parity GDP, but not in per capita GDP. Right. That's what really what matters. Um, you know, gross like gross GDP only tells you how much kind of I guess it tells you how much money you can spend. But if it's split among more people, it becomes uh, uh, an issue. Right. Especially when China's going to have so much of their money, they're going to need to invest in old age pensions and things like that. So, the my point on all this is, when you just look at a snapshot in time and you say, "Oh, this this the power seems to be going in this direction," doesn't mean that's how it's going to be, right? You got to look at the broader trends of history and the material conditions, and you know, not overreact to some of that stuff. And and I think to a degree, this story does kind of fit in that. Space. I actually find a bathroom of her own a more interesting story because it is about kind of the nitty gritty of American politics and American needs. It's, it's about building houses. Like, how do we actually expand the housing supply in the post-war era which was what a lot of countries had to deal with after the destruction and the, in, in the united states it was more just people moving into suburbia people wanting a better life for themselves after the great depression and after the war and demanding that housing right i don't think the population significantly increased there was no destruction so um maybe there's a slowdown of construction during the war itself but but i don't know if there's a it's just people don't want to go back to living in tenements and and one room farmhouses and things people wanted better housing um, and then the, how that got done, the, the, the sausage making of getting it done. That was really a, kind of an interesting story for me. Freeman, um, you know, he even says in his introduction, any conquered nation yeah, needs to read a story like this. Like, you know, this is what's going to come out of any conquered nation. Um, so, but he's really talking about Americans and Americans, as always, as always. Heinlein's really only interested in Americans so about the story what to say well i guess the one science fiction element here is the fact that the war is a 20-minute war which implies a, a nuclear war of sorts but but america now been occupied after a 20-minute war which still seems unplausible, even after an, a nuclear war i think the idea of the united states itself being occupied is kind of preposterous it's too big it's too well armed um it's not practical the geography is not practical you got seas, <laughs> you know, it's what's, what's that, that movie from the 80s, you know, Red Dawn, you they, they, see the Soviet troops just sort of parachuting in, like, how many planes would you need to effectively do a paratroop landing of the United States? It's, it's really ridiculous. Um, but anyways, for the story, that's what's happened. There was, it's, it's, in this way, it does remind me of Sixth Column, where the same thing happened. It's just, we just sort of start the story. America's been conquered, and we're in the, the aftermath of that. Um, so our, our story is set in this one, like f- resistance cell, I guess the Barclay free company, right? And so partially the story is about like democracy and dealing with dissent and dealing with authority within a group like this. And that's uh rather interesting stuff because we do have people here who, who aren't interested in following orders or who are resisting that and in fact that's the main plot we have here is of someone who gets um kicked out of the group Um, he comes to a meeting armed he opposes the decisions of the leadership he gets called out on that you know no one else is armed because you're not supposed to bring weapons to these meetings but he pulls it out tries to defend himself and, and escapes and then the you know the question is like tracking him down finding him you know and and punishing him for it right so how in a in a in a movement that's trying to have freedom that's trying to expand freedom and liberty and and and, and these these values of independence and, and autonomy within a movement itself you still need discipline right so this is something that of course is explored also in the moon as a harsh mistress um in quite a bit of, of of detail in that story and i think in a better way there uh, by taking it out of america and putting it on the moon but but the moon just becomes like another like america if if it really lived out Heinlein's libertarian views, right? Like it's the, the moon, if that story just seems to be an extension of what Heinlein thought, thinks America should have been or could be, or, or you know, in its ideal platonic form. But here we just have a, you know, a close look at this one cell and the drama within that cell. And, and that's pretty much the story. Um, so what, what essentially happens is the the guy, he, he, he says, I'm just going to go back to, I'm just going to work with the occupiers. I'm done with this resistance thing. It's not going to work. And they, they talk about the strategy of it. Like, should they attack? Should they, should they mostly engage in self-defense? They got to supply their community. They have a lot of these day-to-day concerns. And the question is like, can we mount a resistance? Do we fight head on and, and probably lose? Do we just hold out? maybe for decades, maybe for generations and build a resistance movement culture. These are active debates going on within the movement. And our leader is a guy named Morgan. And um, and he's basically like started out by, cause he was like a survivalist and he had a bunch of stuff in a mine and this becomes their foundation of their, of their resistance movement. It's not clear if there are many other uh, movements or if they're the only ones. In fact, they kind of talk as if they're one of the few. Most people are just collaborating or working within or accepting the domination of these occupiers who are never really named. Um. So the guy flees. The guy gets out. The guy who wants to desert does is able to desert, but he's chased down later on by members of the group, members of Morgan's group. They, they stab him in a pretty brutal scene. It, it's pretty well done where he's he's put down and killed for for that he tries to get away and he i think he goes into a house for a while and and kind of fakes his identity to to move in with some people but he eventually gets tracked down and they find him and just kill him like like he's trying to leave the mob right it's like not you don't get out that's part of the lesson here it has to have discipline if this is going to work you can't have a, a libertarian military so that's the question i think I think history kind of proves that that's very difficult to manage. There have been examples of elected militaries of maybe relatively more democratic armies, but in even like the pirate ship, right? Even, but as soon as battle begins, the captain's orders are, are, are God's law. Uh, It's even that case. I think even in the anarchists in the Spanish civil war, like they elected their officers, but during battle, it wasn't like you could just choose not to fight, right? There were still penalties for that. If you wanted to leave later maybe on a pirate ship when a battle came you had to listen to the captain when the battle was over you could unelect the the captain or do something else to him and there were mechanisms for that if you read the pirate codes but not during war not during the the heat of battle right and and i think heinlein has this idea here of, of like a perpetual resistance being engaged whether it's not active at all times it's always there and it always must be lived up to I think this is consistent with his other visions of of the military that he uh, explores in other more famous novels that that we won't have to mention here yet. Um, so now the ending of the story is essentially that when these people return to the base, um, they find like the cell has been, already been attacked, I think, by by the enemy who's not named. They're n- apparently not the Soviets, apparently not uh, the Europeans. I don't know. Maybe they're Canadians or something. It's, it's not. Uh, it doesn't really matter. But he gets uh, Morgan gets killed. And the story ends with Morgan's kind of deathbed scene where he basically encourages people to carry on the resistance, saying essentially that like you. You can kill one member of the resistance, but free men can't be killed, essentially free, you know, or you can't kill freed men. So even if you're occupied, even if you're engaged in resistance, it's a choice to be free or not. So that's the thesis of the story. At no point are you unfree unless you choose to consent to to um, to the domination of, of, of the opposing force. This isn't the existentialist idea that you can be free in prison if you just like find out you really like looking at bricks. You know, you can kind of you have the freedom to like looking at uh, brick walls all the time. It's it's not quite that. It's it's more political here. Morgan says as he's dying, there's one thing this has taught me: you can't enslave a free man. Only person can do that to a man is himself. No sir, you can't enslave a free man. The most you can do is kill him. Well, this is a bit of a is it a tautology? It's some weird logic, like. Obviously, free people have been enslaved through force, right? I, there's millions and millions of examples of that in history of people who did not want to be slaves, who would have preferred something else for their lives, who were put in a condition of slavery or occupation, right? I guess he's trying to say, because it's not just about like inside you think you're free and you walk around. It's not you're not if you're still collaborating. You're not if you're accepting the rules of the occupier of the one who's trying to dominate you. So the only way to continue to be free is do what Morgan's doing, like active resistance at all times, which, you know, there's examples of that. There's the Maroons, there's the pirates. How long did these people last? You know, they don't last forever and they tended to be losers in history. Um, Maybe coming off of World War II where you did have active resistance movements, that turned out to be successful. It looks good, but like the French resistance or the Soviet partisans, these movements only succeeded because they were they made a little things a little bit easier for the invading for the liberating armies. They harassed the occupiers. Could they have won in the long term? You know, for every French in the resistance there were several others who were collaborating or just going on with their lives in some way. So, I think this is all kind of a, a delusional look at how historical change happens. I think um and I think that's why it's kind of it's it makes more sense to put it on the moon right where you can bomb earth with with rocks and stuff and and actually like create a space a a zone of resistance right or if you look at like the chinese civil war that might be another example where you have like base areas that were established and able to expand but they had like public support They, they were they were basically like mini states within china right they weren't cells of a dozen people living in a mine somewhere so, the you know, I, I mean, this is how he thinks. So I think this is a good window into how he thinks about freedom, about maybe leadership, about the need to sacrifice for participation in our community. These are all themes he will take up later on and has already taken up in the works we've looked at. Um, but. But, yeah, with with it being with it, not being like a science fiction story, but also not being like anything like a warning about Soviet occupation. What is it really? It's, it's just sort of saying, this is what I think freedom is. Um, it wasn't published when it was written. It was shelved. And I think it's fine that way that it got published later on. is was, it's okay. I mean, I'm not offended that this story exists, but it's not one of my uh, more favorite of his, of his stories. Um, it is maybe a window into like that early cold war period. Um, even though the Soviet Union is not the enemy here, we're told that, but it's it's hard not to think what that enemy would be, right? Those Nazis from the moon, from rocket ship Galileo, coming back, winning the war in 10, 10 days, maybe 10 minutes. So speaking of rocket ship Galileo, that's what's coming up next. So finally, we're going to get to a, a real book, a real novel. We've read novels before by him, but they were all published serially in Astounding. Astounding's kind of done. Um, I don't know. Maybe there's something that's published in Astounding later on, but not um, many, I think. Mostly he publishes books with uh, different publishers. His juveniles will come first, but others with like uh, uh, dual stars. Sorry, double star. Um I think Starship Troopers is borderline juvenile. I, I think sometimes it gets put in that series, sometimes not. I'm not sure. Um, there's a few other non juveniles, but they're going to be our focus. So we're going to do this going on, uh, moving on. Is like I'm going to read the novel for each year. I'm going to read if there's a novel published, which every year for until the 5th, 60s, I think there's a novel published. So we'll look at the novel, or in some cases, two novels first. Then we'll read whatever stories there are. And I can tell you, after in a little while, there's not going to be that many stories it's it's really going to be novels from from mostly here on out and some of the stories we do get are like short things published in like the saturday evening post or or, or journals like that more mainstream uh journals not the pulpies ones anymore so he he does there's a few i think pulp publications but more or less he's publishing books and and in more prestigious more well-known magazines and I, I think anson mcdonald is gone i think uh John Riverside, these these pen names aren't used too much anymore either. So um, that's what we're going to go into the summer. We're getting well into the summer here. That's what I'm going to do. Normally, I slow down the podcast during the summer, mostly because I'm spending more time with family, don't have uh, the time or the privacy it takes to kind of sit down and talk about a book. I'm not maybe not reading quite as much. Um, in fact, I've already sort of slowed down because I've been doing a lot of prep for next year's classes. Um, and I've been focusing on that and not focusing so much on reading I am going to try by the end of the summer to get through the Mark Twain uh, And maybe get through the first couple juvenile novels Let me be up to 47 or 48 at least But I'll probably slow down a little bit on my uploading um, But, you know, by the end of the summer I expect us to be talking about Red uh, Planet Maybe talking about uh, um, In the mainline series I'll be doing some Black Riders First, then I'll go and look at some women writers. uh, Harry Beecher Stowe, um, Carson McCullers, Flannery O'Connor, those kind of writers. Um, But first, I want to do some slave narratives, which I haven't done yet. I want to do uh, um, Richard Wright, I think, is who who I have. So I'm going to do some other kind of of get away from... um, i just said Stowe. i said get away from the 19th century but that's not going to be quite true but but um yeah i've been i've been kind of in that midnight i yeah maybe i won't do stow thinking about it because it's kind of too too close to the civil war series we just did too um but yeah i think moving back to the 20th century for a while will be fun so so you know i i got some some ideas of some interesting um works to talk about um in that series but for Highland, we're just going to keep pushing through chronologically but like i said it's going to slow down a little bit but hopefully not too much we'll see we'll see if i can um you know keep up with my reading um, but that's it for now um, next time we'll talk about the first half of rocket ship got leo so anyways uh thanks for listening i'll see you next time